0: Hey everybody, thank you for joining us for today's episode of Certainty Talks. On this show, we talk about the system that we use to get clarity on our goals, certainty on how we'll reach them, and wealthy on our terms by rigging the game in our favor. And we share it here because we want to help you reach your goals on your terms. You've been told to scale, buy all these different products from every each way, often from good meaning people, so it's not your fault when you look around and wonder, why am I not where I want to be in business? And as our mentor, business partner, Dan Nicholson says, the biggest risk is that we don't get what we want out of life. We got my good friend, business partner here in the wheel club, Mr. Paul Sparks himself. Uh, Not only a successful real estate investor, but also a certified certainty advisor. And if you get value out of this show, please hit the subscribe button right now. That way we can help more people become wealthy on their terms. And the title for today's show is the number one framework you need we go full time in real estate, uh, but before we get into that six word updates. what you got, Paul? Well, today I'm going to be stealing a six word update
1: from uh, one of our whales, Wren Bartlett, who you know well as your uh, and your partners and sales leadership. And he said, "Closer to clarity creates peace." Mm. Um, you know, and I think I resonated with that really deeply. I think ultimately what I want, what, what sex success means to me is that it's you know, peace of mind, peace of mind in my relationships and my finances, you know, and my energy and all these different currencies that we talk about on this show. And the closer and closer you get to clarity on what that means for you, the easier it is to get there, um, and to filter out all the other different things. And so closer to create uh, closer to clarity creates peace. So thanks for that. One, Ren.
0: Yeah, no, that's a huge one. Ren's a it- Ren a genius in his own right. So I think that's awesome. And myself, my six-word update, mismanaged relationships yield underperformance. And, um, you know, in going through the Whale Club, one of the exercises we did was building a champions list. And in building a champions list, just real quick, is here are your 50 most impactful relationships. These are your champions. These are the people that have got your back and want you to win right? Um, I have, I believe, you know, this is going to be completely biased. I believe the best relationships. I believe that other people would pay a lot of money to have my cell phone, right? My Rolodex. For younger people, you might not know what that means. Um, And so, (laughs) uh, and I'm completely squandering it, just completely blowing it, right? And so we had a quarterly strategic meeting uh, last Thursday and Friday, and I, I shared with the team, like, guys, I put this list together, and I'm just blowing it. I'm just not having enough quality conversations with the most valuable people in my life. I need you guys to hold me accountable to it. And they're like, well, Steve, you know, you've got a personal assistant. Why don't you just have her schedule a call for you every single day? I was like, why don't I do that? And so our quarterly initiative really is just I'm going to have one meaningful conversation with a champion every single day. And who knows what that will do for business, but that's why I put my six-word update. It's only four words, right? But it's mismanaged relationships yield underperformance. I am just, I believe, at the tip of the iceberg what we can do because I'm not even focused on those around me. I'm just so focused on just doing what's in front of me. I think
1: that's such a great case in point for closer versus more. Mm-hmm. You know, we we think that, cause you brought this up and it was a great uh, case in point for a section that we're on right now in the, in the, in our community around recapture and reallocate. Mm-hmm. And we'll probably do a show here on that fairly soon so that everybody else can get a peek inside of how to use this really powerful framework. But, you know, especially for you, you have such a, you've, I mean, you've been doing this for 16 years, something like yeah. that. The, the amount of relationships that you've accumulated over that time, um, especially going through the champions list exercise, you realize all these people that you have in your corner. Yeah. But what do we do? We go out and we don't, we, it's, it's mismanaging these resources. Uh, you, you don't really need more. You just need to better allocate like what you already have and, you know, that was just such a great case in point. We all probably have enough resources to achieve what we want. We're just not necessarily allocating or managing it correctly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Completely just blowing it. <laughs> um, and, you know, like you go back and I know we're, we're supposed to start the show, but like for me, you know, I've always kind of joked like how I'm a, a, a horrific. I was a hor- horrific, horrific realtor because I just had a really hard time connecting right? Like if you bought a house with me, connecting with you and talking to you once a quarter, Hey Paul, how's it going? How's the house? How's the kids? What are you doing for, for the summer? Like it just couldn't resonate. Cause I didn't really connect with them, but my champions list, like we're rowing in the same direction. We've got the same mission, right? Like we're either real estate investors, business owners, whatever, but we're all trying to accomplish similar things. And there's so much, um, I'm not sure overlaps the right word, but there's just so much opportunity for collaboration or just supporting one another or like I can help them, they can help me just very, very quickly, right? Like if I need anything, it's just, hey, no problem. I got you. And I'm not (laughs) just, I'm behaving like I was as a realtor, which, which wasn't very good. And really I could just, this activity is probably my highest, most valuable activity not doing it Hmm. yeah i mean we were talking about
1: this around how a lot of us say that we want more money and that's actually going to be a good segue i think into the conversation today It's like we want more money to be able to live the life that we want to fund the things that we want in life on our terms and our timeline we call that the solvable problem yeah but the thing is is that we also have this other framework that again if you've listened to this show and Thank you for those that listen to this show. And uh, if you're familiar with the framework A-Timer, which we've talked about many times, it's a just a, a way to sort of think through all of the different currencies that are out there. Obviously, we're familiar with money as a currency, but we use this acronym A-Timer to think about the other things. So A stands for attention. You can pay attention to things. Mm-hmm. You can be paid attention to. We have a podcast that we're doing right now. People are paying attention to this podcast. Um, You can have time as a currency. You know, we all say we want more time. Uh, Or or, uh, I is impact or influence. You can make an influence on somebody positively or negatively. Money is a currency energy as a currency. What do you spend your energy on? What takes the energy out of you? What, gives energy to to you and then of course we also have the, the r which is relationships so we use this to think through because actually most of the time we say that we want more money but money comes through one of these other currencies a lot of times you can monetize your relationships you can monitor and, and not, not in a negative way. It's just what I've found. And I'm sure you would agree with this is the, the better and the higher quality relationships that I have just so happens, the more money that I make, right? Absolutely. The more money, the more attention you got through and the impact you made through your podcast. Well, it translated to more money in your pocket. And so we all have these big levers in our life. Um, and it's, It's usually money is a byproduct of one of those levers. And so I think that is what we're getting at here is you had a massively underutilized currency, which is your, your quality of your relationships. Mm -hmm. And if we're trying to get more money, we might be looking at it the wrong way by saying, how do I make more money? As opposed to saying like, how do I continue to pour into the relationships I've, I've cultivated over 16 years? Because that directly translates to money usually.
0: Oh, absolutely. It's very, very, very close correlation. So, all right. So getting back into the show. So, you know, talking about the number one framework, you need to go full-time real estate. So a lot of times when we're talking on this show for Certainty Talks, we're talking to the business owner who's, you know, scraped their knees, gotten their teeth kicked in, just faced a lot of adversity. Today, you know, we have other people that listen as well. And these are the people that are not quite ready to go full-time yet. And what we want to do is talk about the frameworks that someone can use to help them make this transition, if that transition makes sense for them. So what do you got, Paul? Well, you know, the problem is
1: that we don't want to just... I think if you listen to the show, you know that we're not a huge fan of just burn the boats without any sort of backup plan or data or, you know... um, Cause, cause why? Because you're taking on a lot of risk. Well, well then Steve, why, why do all the gurus tell us that we got to burn the boats and go all in? It's like, because it makes it easier to sell their product. That's why. Yeah. Cause they want you to go all in and now you don't have any choice. You have to figure this out, but that's not the case in business.
0: Yeah. Well, going all in is a method that works. It works it might not have the highest success rate. right? Um, And I think that, you know, as far as marketing filtering goes, going all in, you tend to hit the more impulsive, quick decision-making people, quick starts, right? People like Paul and myself. So you say, you gotta go all in, right? Of course you gotta go all in, so we'll go, right? So it's just easier for them to sell products to quick starts, right? Which a lot of us in business tend to be quick starts.
1: Yeah, it's easier to sell the products to them. And you made a really good point there. It's not that it doesn't work; it it, it does work. And that's the thing: is they point point and say, "See, see, this works." But we're not talking about whether it works or whether it doesn't work. We're talking about the risk associated with it.
0: Right. Yeah. You it, know? It, um, it fails significantly far more often than works.
1: Let's tell the. Uh, let's tell. <laughs> I don't know why i just have to tell this story again we've told this on a previous episode but let's play a game steve mm-hmm. Want to play you want to play a game it's this really fun game of course. it's gonna cost you ten dollars to play and if you're right you're gonna win a million dollars if you win the game you win a million dollars and it costs you ten dollars to play i'm in okay great you actually have six chances to play this game and so you can you can uh Play up to six times and it could cost you sixty dollars. And of course, if you win, you still make a million dollars. You can play six times. Um, you still want to play. Yeah. Yeah, of course. The upside's huge.
0: I mean, right? a million to ten. Well, a million to ten. I mean, that's a hundred thousand to one pot odds. I mean, that sounds pretty good.
1: Yeah, exactly. And uh you have an 83% chance of winning this game. So your chances of winning are really high. Yeah. Um, but Again, what if I told you that this game is Russian roulette? And, you know, think about Russian roulette. You've got <laughs> yeah, I mean, six.
0: It's a really exciting game. It just might not be the game for me.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, because the because there's six, there's six spots in this chamber, in this, you know, revolver or whatever, and there's only one bullet. So five out of six times, you're not going to hit that bullet and you're going to win. Mm-hmm. But of course, the one time you play and and you and you lose, there's 17% chance that you lose, it's complete total ruin and you blow your yourself up and you can never play again. Right. And that's the problem is we don't consider the risk of the game. None of us would ever play that game. Even if the upside was to win a million dollars, if the downside is total ruin and you blow yourself up. And then of course you're gonna have all these people who like played played the game and they won a million bucks. They're like, no, it's it's a little risky, yeah, but you can still win. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we like, use look, that I'm as on my, an extreme example. I'm on my
0: jet skis. I've got my Lambo. It's a good game. Yeah, yeah. It's just
1: it's an extreme example, I think, to illustrate the fact that if you're if you're working at a job, because we all we all did it. Everybody that's most of those that are in real estate, we started somewhere else and then we transitioned into real estate. And I think we're going to just talk about the framework we use to make that transition, so that we don't end up playing Russian roulette and taking on risk that could blow us up, right? Because that's what we want to avoid. We want to avoid total ruin. If you listen to guys like Ray Dalio and you know these, these expert investors, all they're talking about is how to remove risk from what they're doing. And that's what we're going to talk about today with the number one framework. And we've talked about this before. It's called the barbell framework mm-hmm. now. Everybody that's here has probably seen a barbell. If you haven't, probably need to get to the gym. Go look at a barbell. Saw one this right? morning. Yeah, Steve's getting a little—he's getting a little buff over there. He's—he's he's been working hard to, to drop some weight and get back in the gym, so it's—it's it's showing with your yeah. arms here on the table here, Steve. So <laughs> um, you've seen a barbell. Yeah. And what we notice about barbells. Well, you either load weight on one side or the other, right? Mm-hmm. Steve, have you ever seen a barbell with weight loaded in the middle of the bar?
0: No. No, never What's seen one. What's the middle.
1: risk to loading weight in the middle of the bar?
0: Well, I don't know what the risk is, but it's a lot of work <laughs> to lift that barbell. Right? It's it's not an easy lift. It's um I mean, it's it's even hard work to get the weight into the middle of the barbell. Uh but even if you did, it's just it's like uh the difference between uh, holding a kid that's awake and a kid that's asleep, right? When a kid's asleep, that's dead weight. It's uneven. It's bulky. Right. I imagine, you know, like if you're putting a weight in the middle of the barbell, it's like lifting dead weight, it's just.
1: Yeah. bulky. The risk is it's hard to lift and it could topple over, yeah. you know, it it, 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 it's slanted to one side. That's how I sort of visualize it. Like, how do you pick that up? How do you consistently do it? And so, This concept, barbells, is not anything that Steve or I made up. This was most recently written about in a book that we've talked about many times on the show called Anti-Fragile. There's a gentleman named uh, Nassim Nicholas Taleb who's written a whole bunch of fantastic books, The Black Swan, um, uh, Fooled by Randomness. I've read several of his books, and Anti-Fragile is one of my favorites. And in this book, he talks about... You know, this concept of anti fragility. And I know you read that book. What what does anti fragility mean to you?
0: Well, uh, it means what I you what I thought it would mean was that you couldn't break it. That's what I thought it would mean. But that's not what anti fragile is. Antifragile means you get stronger when you try to break it. Every yes. time it faces adversity, it gets stronger. You know, I use yep. uh, a ridiculous expression here, but for my anime fans, right? A super saiyan, right? Every time he gets hurt and close to death, he gets stronger. Mm -hmm. Anti-fragile.
1: Kanye, man. That that don't kill you makes you stronger or something like that, you know? Yeah, no. He would like
0: anti-fragile. Yeah, you cannot hurt him. There's nothing you can do to hurt that guy. (laughs) Um, Well,
1: and so, he talks about this framework called the Barbell Framework to build anti-fragility into your life and your business. And... When you read about it, he was actually referencing uh, this guy right here behind me in my studio. Uh, It's a, a stoic philosopher named Seneca. And Seneca wrote about this thousands of years ago. So this is a very old concept. And barbells is just a better, easier way to understand what they call a bimodal strategy for removing risk. Okay, bimodal means it's either on one side or the other. So we use a barbell to illustrate that because everybody nowadays understands that. You see a barbell, you got weight loaded on one side or the other, never in the middle. And so Taleb describes this as on one side, we want to be taking really reliable, low risk plays. Right? Right. Because on the other side, we want to take on – I'm going I'm to borrow from Dan Nicholson's term here. He calls it asymmetric bets to the upside. So huge upside plays, ultimate reliable plays. And what they're advocating for is we don't want to put anything in the middle. And, and something that's in the middle in this case would mean maybe it has a really high upside, but it also has a really high downside. You know So these are the types of things that can blow you up, knock you off track. It's not reliable and it's not it doesn't have enough uh, asymmetry to the upside. Notice I'm not just saying upside because what makes it asymmetrical means the upside's big, but the downside's really low. And I go back to this example of Russian roulette. You tell me, Yeah, the upside's really big in that. I get that, but the downside is massive.
0: Grossly disproportionate. Yeah,
1: it's grossly disproportionate. And what do we do, Steve? Like we as humans, we always focus on what's the upside here.
0: Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, I mean, I would say the biggest uh, uh, challenge, or not challenge, the uh, the the biggest mistake I kept making over and over again until you know you and I connected was that I. I had, I've always had a high risk tolerance. I mean, that's kind of like been one of my benefits, one of my advantages, is I have infinite risk tolerance. And so as a result, I'll take bets all day because if, you know, if it doesn't work out, I'll figure a way out, right? But it wasn't until we connected that I realized, oh, I can just only make bets where the upside far outweighs the downside. And if I only make those bets... Yeah, maybe the upside is not as high. Maybe. But in the long run, you know, where after time and randomness kicks in, I will be significantly further ahead because we completely discount as business owners how much mistakes cost us. Like, you know, going back to a W2 employee. Hey, you know what? You go back, you put $30,000 into this business, right? I'm going to start wholesaling. I'm going to buy this course. I'm going to buy this coach. I'm going to use these products and this and that, right? And you're out 30K. It's no big deal, right? Like 30K is 30K. We all make $30,000 bets all the time in this business. But for us as real estate investors, or, or those that are in the business of wholesaling, flipping or whatever, we can make up a $30,000 mistake in a month. Yeah. Right. As a W two employee, you make a thirty thousand dollar mistake. It could take you like a year and a half, right, to make up that mistake. And so, for us, we're talking about, hey, if you're going to take these bets. We're not saying don't take these bets. It's how do we, how do you take these bets where upside's great and the downside is not so bad, so that if it doesn't work out, you're not completely screwing yourself. I mean, we have R J Bates. He's one of the. Uh, um, panelists on part in the disruption when he got into the business the first thing he did was stro- uh, stroke a check for sixty thousand dollars to a large education company it took him a long time to pay that sixty thousand dollars back and by the way it wasn't his money right it was his mom's money so like talk about uh adversity right and blowing yourself up now rj made it is one of the good guys he's one of the happy endings right we talk about like it works. Going all in, it works. But track record doesn't necessarily uh, line up with that as well. So, you know, we're talking about upside versus downside. Yeah, take into account, if it doesn't work out well, how large bet you're willing to make, how long is it going to take for you to make it up?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and we run the risk having this conversation, like on a podcast where we're talking to a ton of people, coming across as a Debbie Downer. Right, we yeah. run that risk having this conversation because everybody's like, Oh, all you want to do is remove risk. That's no fun. Like, you're telling me don't go out and make money, you're telling me don't take risk. I'm saying, No, that's not what we're saying. What we're saying is, we want to help you get to your goals with the least amount of risk as possible. We yeah. don't want you playing Russian roulette and then running the risk of blowing yourself up. That's what we're trying to do is give you the tools that, again, people have been talking about for thousands of years. Dan talks about it in his book. This yeah. is all just about how to get there with the least amount of risk.
0: Yeah, we're not saying zero risk. We're saying manage your risk. Look, right. I still have a crazy risk tolerance, right? Like my overhead is well over six figures a month. That's risky. I think a lot of people would lose sleep over this, right? So I, we're not saying don't take risk. We're just saying manage your risks so that when you're taking your step when you are transitioning from W2 into real estate that you're aware of the risks. Yeah, well, you've been in business for a long time and so one of
1: the one of the the frameworks that Dan talks about in rigging the game is that and we don't scale until we hit predefined points and we need multiple data points to indicate that you know, you didn't just go from zero to 100k plus in overhead overnight, right? No. <clears throat> um, so let's talk about the person that's trying, that's at, that's got a W two. They're working a job. Mm-hmm. They started listening to Steve's Real Estate Disruptors, and they're like, "Man," and they probably read Rich Dad Poor Dad.
0: hmm oh, A little yeah. purple book. Everyone's read that book, yeah. And
1: and when you learn about some of the stuff, you just can't unlearn it. You can't unsee it. You know, it's this path towards financial independence, financial freedom, retiring early. What a beautiful concept. And I'm here to tell you, it's totally achievable. And you can get there a lot faster and a lot with a lot less risk by going through a process and not just buying every single course and doing every single thing. And we're going to talk about that strategy like right now. Right. So- Let's talk about what the barbell looks like for someone that's working a W-2 job. It's it's my opinion that a job, when you're working at a let's say a high-paying W you know do job, whatever, there's a lot of asymmetry to the upside in that. The upside is really big. The downside's fairly low. Again, I'm just gonna assume that a lot of the listeners are here are kind of like us. Where we started, like, we got a college degree. We got some degree. We got out of school. We got into industry. You know, if you got fired from your job, you probably could go get another one. Yeah. You know, maybe you're not making as much as you were, but you could probably go get a different job, worst case scenario, inside your industry, inside your expertise. Maybe that's not true for everybody, but it was true for us. And let's say you're making $100,000 a year you know, at some job engineering job, maybe. So there's a lot of upside there, you know, mm-hmm. with, a, with very little downside, in my opinion, but so that covers one side of the barbell, but in order to be able to, to leave your you consider job that time
0: upside. I mean, I look at that as the reliable side, right? Month in, month yeah, out. I... It doesn't matter what's going on. You're making your 8,300 bucks a month, right? You're making six figures. I look at that. Let me make my argument.
1: Let me make my argument. So why I consider that because it could I could see why it could be on on. It's both an upside play and it's a reliable play. Yeah. But here's what I would argue is more reliable than that, because you still got to trade your time and your energy and all sorts of stuff Mm -hmm. for that. Here's what your barbell might look like as you're just working a job. You've got the job on the asymmetrical upside. On the other side, you have savings. You have your 401k. You paid off your cars, you know. You got you don't have a car payment. You don't have a note or anything like that. Yeah, you've got low monthly bills. These are all things that you can do to add reliability. So it's just like cash in the bank. Your four hundred and one k constantly being added to in a very reliable, low risk position. And yeah, I, I assume you could probably also fit your job on the reliable side. But I think it has more asymmetry than it does reliability when you um have the flexibility to start building your side hustle which is usually what it is at the beginning
0: yeah i don't know i i put on the reliable side and then the side hustle are all the asymmetric bets
1: yeah and that's exactly how it happens is so yeah whether it's on reliable or it's on upside the point is is when you go start thinking about you read rich Dad poor Dad, you listen to Steve Trang, you're listening to bigger pockets, you're reading all the books. It's what we all did mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah well, what we've got to figure out how to do is get our reliable side of the barbell to cover our core priorities in our life like whether that's ha- it's probably housing, food, insurance, medical, clothing, what I mean, just like food, water, and shelter is kind of how I think about it. Mm-hmm. And what we've learned by helping people, you know, do this for a while is that most people are usually around seven to ten thousand dollars a month. Right. To to cover their monthly nut. Um you're not living an extravagant lifestyle necessarily. Uh, but it's just you're comfortable, right? You've got your you're got your comfort number sort of taken care of. And so That's where we wanna start looking for ways to add to that reliability. Now, there's kind of two directions you can go and it depends on preferences, I think, a lot of times. I think there's a lot of people out there who will tell you, well, the, the only way to do it is to go collect rental properties. Here's what you do. You go collect a bunch of rental properties. You get passive income that can then offset your seven to $10,000 a a month or whatever, Mm -hmm. and then you can retire.
0: Yeah. You hit your freedom. freedom number.
1: That's what rich dad, poor dad says. And again, we're not saying that that's wrong necessarily. What we are saying is that's just one way to do it.
0: Mm -hmm. And what we learned, what what we've learned in this industry, buying from landlords that didn't want to be landlords is that is not everyone's preference. No,
1: it's not everyone's preference. And, you know, a 25 year old is going to look at this different than a 20 than a 45 year old. Mm -hmm. So if you're 25 and you're like, man, I don't like this whole job thing. I want to work for myself. I want to have financial independence and I want to be a real estate investor. Well, I mean, one of the strategies you might look at is something called house hacking. Mm -hmm. That's just low hanging fruit. We all need a place to live. And I started doing that. We did that twice. You buy a house, and you put tenants in it. It's just not a complicated concept. Right. You know, these tenants pay off one of your biggest expenses. Let's say you got a $2,000 a month mortgage. You can charge, you know, $1,000 a a bedroom. You got three bedrooms. You stick two tenants in there. Now you're living for free. So instead of needing $7,000 per month, now you only need five.
0: Yeah, well I was saying the preference what I was saying the preference is what well, we're learning that is not a preference for everybody is that not, not everyone's designed to be a landlord.
1: Right. And not everyone's designed to have roommates either.
0: Yeah. <laughs> if, yes.
1: you're, if you're 45 years old, you may not be buying a house and sticking tenants in your basement. Yeah, you're
0: probably you know not house I mean? hacking at 45 years old. Not with a no, wife. No, but there's
1: so what are some other ways maybe that someone in that position might be able to add some quote passive and reliable income?
0: I mean, one of the nice things uh, as, as a person that's a high earning W 2 employee, and like we, we get, we give so much grief to people in the W 2 world. And I don't know why it comes across that way. It's not intentional. Uh, but one of the great things about being W 2 is you're bankable, right? So you can buy real estate. So you can buy turnkey. Jimmy Vreeland, another panelist on Pardon the Disruption, that's his bread and butter. He sells turnkey properties to high earning W-2 employees. Uh, Another one, um, private lending, right? If you make a good amount of active income, you could take that money, put it into a self-directed IRA, if you want to make it tax-free, you could put it into a self-directed IRA, lend it, get 12%, 18% on that money, and it just grows and compounds tax-free year over year, more than double digits pretty easily
1: yeah i mean yeah and um until you understand what your real preferences are it's hard right. it, there's so many options that are out there so i'm it here to very tell overwhelming it can it can be so overwhelming um And you don't have to house hack. You don't have to have roommates. You don't have to flip houses. You don't really have to do anything other than be able to have trust in an operator that you've vetted, right? Mm -hmm. And you can lend money to them directly. You could act as a a limited partner on syndication deals. You could lend money to Steve Trang and he could go put it in his deals and you can earn 12 to 18%. Now let's, let's say you're a doctor. And you like what you do. Not everybody hates their job. That's the thing. is not everybody is like me, was 28 years old and just said, screw this. I'm, I'm going to figure out a way to stop working for somebody else. Or Jokic, <laughs> yeah. where it feels like a job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, or Jokic, exactly. Uh, that's funny. I wonder if Jokic owns any real estate. <laughs> he owns horses, and he does all sorts of stuff with that. But, yeah. Yeah you know, this is, there's just not a right or wrong way to do this. And, um, so if you're, if you're 28 years old, it might look different than 38 or 48.
0: But going back to say, if you're a doctor, Uh, what, what, what might make sense?
1: Well, so I'm, I'm working, um, with a couple people that, you know, they just, they like what they do. Some doctors like what they do. Mm -hmm. They worked a lot of time. They, you know, even if they had, had the ability to replace their active income with quote passive income they would still be a doctor because they like it they get other currencies out of it besides just money
0: well I remember stephanie batters right another Will club member um she was working five different jobs at, a, at some point and we're like why are you working so many jobs like i love all of them it's like really it's like you know she was a um nurse practitioner doing heart surgery i didn't even know you were allowed to do this by the way Right. So she's a nurse practitioner doing heart operations and she's making a hundred thousand a year. And all she was doing was working on Fridays and Saturdays. And I was like, why are you doing this? She's like, I love it. Like, do you need the money? Nope. (laughs) I just like, I just like meeting with patients and making them better. It's like, yeah, I get it. That makes sense.
1: Yeah. You know, and, and her timeline, just like a lot of these people, is it I'm trying to retire from my job in two years, three years, whatever. Mm -hmm. They're sitting here saying all I want is the ability instead of having to work 50 hours a week. I just want to work maybe 30 hours a week. And so you start having a conversation. Well, what do you need in order to do that? It's like, well, I would need to supplement my income in this way. Okay, great. Well, we can work backwards. Let's say you're making $300,000 a year and you're working 50 hours and in order to like, Drop your hours down. It means you're going to only be making $200,000 a year. Yeah. Well, you know, you can get with a million dollars, you can get 10% as a private lender, like super secure and easy. And you can add that to the reliable side of your barbell mm -hmm. and accomplish the same exact thing.
0: Yeah. So as a person who, you know, they've read the books, they've listened to the podcast, but they haven't taken action yet. How do they figure out what their preference is? How do they figure out if I like lending, if I like house hacking, if I like burrs, if I like turnkey? I mean, how do you know what you like?
1: Great question. And I'm going to reference another one of our frameworks called CASE.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, CASE stands for collect, analyze, strategize, execute. And the problem is when you're doing something new, we don't have a lot of data. We don't really know if we like it. How could you know? Because you've never done it before. Yeah. And this is what what we mean by avoiding going all in. And you know, I just have a problem. I don't see the world this way, uh, in the in the way that a lot of gurus see it, which is you got to just pick something and go for it. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> that's not how I did it. When I started in real estate, I needed to try a bunch of different things. I needed to see how I liked short term rentals. I needed to see how I liked wholesaling and flipping and raising money and developments and I mean, novations. I touched every aspect of real estate. Why? Because I needed to see, I'm just, I needed to see what happened when I pressed that button. What happens here? Because I didn't want to go all in on something that I just, wasn't sure was, was the route that I wanted to take. And now that I've pressed those buttons and I figured out I, I don't really like this, this one's okay, but r- compared to this, this is what I want to do. Now I'm going all in, and I'm going all in on developments. I'm going all in on relationships and raising capital. Why? Because I got to press on everything. We did a show a while back on Jenga yeah. and how – You'd be a really bad Jenga player if you just walked up to the Jenga tower and just mashed one of the blocks. That's not how we play Jenga. You go and you press lightly and you find the one that's loose and then pull that one. Yeah. So if you're early in your career, give yourself a break. It's okay to go lightly pressing on multiple things. And the people who tell you that you can't commit to anything – probably don't understand how case works.
0: Right. So you are you suggesting then like go investigate what what's involved in turnkey, go investigate what's involved in Burrs, and then dabble in it, dip your toe in it. What are we talking about?
1: Yeah, I think that there's a there so we call this micro stepping. And Dr. Jeff Spencer, who we've talked about before, he calls this soft offense. It's the same reference as we're talking about with Jenga. So the question is, okay, so let's take a look at the different options that are out there, you know, flipping, wholesaling. Some of these are active ways to generate active income. Some of these are more passive, like Burr and short-term rentals and stuff like this. None of them are wrong. It's just, it's a preference thing. And we got to figure out which one we like. I personally believe... The the easiest, best way to get information back without taking more risk on than necessary, sometimes it's just go work for somebody. Mm -hmm. Go partner with somebody. Go take less in the deal so that you reduce your risk. It might mean, hey, I want to get into wholesaling. Well, there's, there's a couple ways you could do this. You could go start building your entire wholesaling business like I did. Um, And I kind of found out like this doesn't really fit my preferences and my style. Yeah. Uh, I probably could have gotten that without losing like almost $200,000 in that business by just going to work for somebody else. I probably would have accomplished the same thing, but I was so eager to burn the boats and go all in. Right. So relationships in my opinion and the ability to, to build those early on as you're kind of dabbling, as you like to say, relationships are probably one of your best currencies. How do you get that? You go to meetups. You get involved in your local community. You figure out ways that you can add value to people that are doing things that you might like. Hold it as a hypothesis. Don't make it as a statement. I'm going to be a wholesaler. I'm going to be a flipper. That's very different than saying, I'm going to try wholesaling and flipping and all these different things and I'm going to see which one I like. And the way you're going to do that is, I mean, the, again, this is just one way to do it. This is not right or wrong. Mm-hmm. I see relationships as the, as the best way to kind of lightly press on things. What's your thoughts?
0: Yeah, I think, I think the key here, right, is we're talking about maximizing upside, minimizing downside. I think the first thing is don't quit your job right, unless that's exactly what you want to do. Right? That's what I did, like I found out about uh real estate sales and how much money they make. I quit my job without actually figuring out whether I wanted to be a realtor or not or whether I enjoyed being a realtor or not. I just quit my job and became a realtor right in the, in the course of two weeks by the way, right so I think that's not the way to do it um step one um unless you figure out like you're completely done with your job and career. I think the other thing too is. There's nothing wrong with collecting information. I think that we kind of harshly judge people who collect too much information. And I think that there are a lot of people that do collect too much information. But you must collect some information. You must do your due diligence and figure out, you know, if these wholesalers actually enjoy what they're doing. Are they actually doing what they're saying they're doing. And it's hard to verify this, right? But, you know, find out if they actually enjoy doing what they're doing, if they're having the kind of success that they say uh, they're having. Um, You know, one of the great things, if you're W2, again, you're bankable, go find out from your peers that, uh, you post on Facebook, hey, I'm thinking about buying some rental properties. Who do I know that has some rental properties? Talk to them figure out what are the things they like about it, what they don't like about it. They might have connections for some lenders. They might have some connections for where to get some deals, right? But then you can find out how much they like it. Um, Turnkey. I mean, that's turnkey, burr, rentals. I mean, I think they're kind of all in the same, uh, very closely related. So I think just who's got rental properties will probably uh, uh, solve that problem. If you want uh, to fund some flips, Right? You could say, "Hey, I'm thinking about getting real estate. Who's flipping houses right now?" Once you get a couple of people saying, "Hey, I flip houses," great. What lenders are you working with? Can I talk to them? See how much they like lending? What does lending actually look like, right? So you can get some information from people that are doing it. Now, you're going to get some people that can be really mean. And say, I refuse to let you come pick my brain. I unfortunately, unfortunately, am one of those people, right? I actually charge for that. So if you want to pick my brain, there's an actual cost associated with it. I don't want to be that way. It's just the reality of, of, of my life and business today. Um, but I can also say, when I was starting up, I would talk to people that were having success. I just take them to lunch. Hey, What do you do about this? What do you do about that? What do you like about this? You know, one of my mentors is Russell Shaw, one of the most successful realtors of all time, right? Like you can't even make an argument if he's not, you know, one of the top 50, potentially top 10. Took him to lunch. Just talked about business. He's like, oh yeah, you know, I spend a hundred grand a month on marketing. I was like, oh my God, how do you do that? To which he said, same thing you said, Paul. I didn't start at a hundred grand a month. My first commercials were free. I worked as a, he worked as a script writer at the radio station in return, instead of getting compensated, he got to do radio ads for free as a realtor. So he worked um, and and he bartered instead of getting paid to do uh, comedy scripts. He got to do radio spots on the radio. And then that's how he found out, Hey, radio advertising works. I can do more radio advertising. And that's how he built and funded his entire career. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I kind of went on a rant there, but I think there are some different avenues you could look at as far as collecting data.
1: You know, yeah, I mean, that's a great story. It's like what he did is he figured out how to get information mm-hmm. without having to spend a whole lot, without having to take on a whole lot of risk. That's an, asy- <clears throat> excuse me, an asymmetrical bet.
0: That was an asymmetrical bet. I write, I write comedy scripts. I get free radio ads. And if it works... Great. If it doesn't work, well, I wrote radio. Uh, I wrote comedy scripts for free.
1: You know, what's the downside to showing up to a local meetup? You, you spend an hour, I guess. Maybe you feel a little bit like a newbie, mm-hmm. a little out of your comfort zone, I suppose. That's the downside. Yeah. The upside is you run into somebody that might change the trajectory of your life. <laughs> right. Um, you want to get into real estate. Going after Steve Trang and saying, hey, can I partner with you on a deal? Probably not the. You know, uh, it's probably not going to work. Um, you're probably going to have to go like put in the reps, go mm-hmm. to the meetups. You have to you have to bias towards action. We're not we're not advocates of analysis paralysis. No, no way, not at all. You know, you have to bias towards action. But what we're saying is, what's the smallest action I can take that can give me some feedback to justify taking the next action or the next step? So. You know, and and then when you realize, hey, maybe I maybe there's something to this turnkey thing, maybe there's something to this wholesaling thing. Okay, great. You got some feedback, you collected some information, you think that you might like something. Again, I would ask you the same question. What's the smallest step I can take in order to continue justifying taking the next step? So we're biasing towards action every single way, but we're just breaking it down into smaller steps. Yeah. Why? So that way you reduce risk.
0: Yeah, it's that uh, um, expression, right? Slow down to speed up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Jake Jake McKay said that this week, and
1: we used to say that as slow as smooth, smooth as fast. Right. Um, You want to go fast, well, you got to go smooth first, you know? And again, everyone, there's going to be a lot of people out there who tell you it's going to be a hard two years. That transition takes time Hmm. to go from your W-2 job into – you know, full world and maybe, you know, exactly what the strategy is that you're going to do in my case, or in in that case, I would say that's great. Continue to micro step it, continue to get some feedback because what you think now and what you know now is going to change as you get more and more information about real estate
0: investing. Yeah. I mean, as you collect more data, there's no way that, that you don't, you don't, uh, assess or reassess your understanding of the situation. Right. And what was it? Doctors, Dr. Just Dr. Jess Spencer said, like, we champions assess. Champions always, you know, evaluate the landscape. I but think just
1: to reality is how he says it. Just yeah.
0: reality. There you go. Like, I think just just put it another way, you know, talking about going all in, right? Like, let's say Paul calls me like Steve, I'm thinking about getting the MMA. It's like, cool, you gotta go all in. Like, call Dana White, schedule a fight this weekend. Go all in. No one would do that. <laughs> right? You would figure out who your buddies is in martial arts. You'd figure out the uh, the training regimen. Where are the gyms close by? What does it cost to join the gym, right? How much time am I going to spend into it? How much am I going to spend for equipment? You wouldn't just sign up for a fight, right? right? Um, marathons. I mean, I think some people are crazy enough to just like sign up for a marathon with no training, but typically you want to figure out, like, can I do a 5K? Am I in shape for a 5K? Can I run a mile straight? I can tell you when I first started running a few years ago, after my doctor said I was obese, right? He was not the nicest doctor, right? I, (laughs) running a mile was not something you just did. Like I had to, we had to work it up, right? Can I run a quarter mile without stopping? Then it was a mile without stopping. And then it was two miles. And then eventually I could run a 5K without stopping, right? But I wouldn't just sign up for a marathon and go all in. You gotta, in that case, literally microstep it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, I'll have to. We'll have to keep that one in the rolodex of just examples of microstepping. We've we've all heard these examples. We've observed it in other areas of our life. All we're suggesting is, you know, consider applying that if you're if you're looking to go from your W two full time into real estate. Um, use a lot of the same strategies that have probably made you successful in others, other areas of your life so far. And the barbell framework is just a helpful visualization tool. So if you're listening to this, let me give you some practical ways you can implement this. Take a piece of paper and draw an actual barbell. Like I draw, you know, the barbell. I'm doing this with my hands. If you're, if you're watching live, um, if you're just listening, you know, just, just picture a barbell on your head. And I want you to write out, the things on the reliable side. What do you have in savings, 401k, pay off cars, you know, just things like this that you already have. It's like, um, <clears throat> it's in the vault, you know, it's in the bank kind of thing. Then of course you've got your other plays where you're making big chunks of cash that also have low downside. In my opinion, a job fits that. It also fits on the reliable side. Um, going to work for somebody else that is already doing what you're trying to do. You're not taking on a ton of risk by joining somebody else's wholesaling team to see if you like it. Right. You're not taking on a ton of risk by partnering with somebody, bringing cash to the table maybe, with someone who's already operated turnkey rentals or has done flips and you can bring money to the table and learn from their experience to see if they like it. We do the same thing with developments. I have people who are doing the same thing with me right now. And you can do that most of that comes through relationships, you know, watching another YouTube video, watch, reading another book like that only gets you so far. I'm, I'm here to say I read all the books, you know, I watched all the podcasts. It, it is really helpful and you should be definitely consuming that content. It'll help you get more and more inf- information, but at a certain point, you've got to bias action. And the best way to take action, in my opinion, is to take micro steps. Take small steps forward that have really high upside, like going to a meetup. The upside is tremendous. The downside is really low. Yeah. Right? We want to look for opportunities like this, and we want to take things out of the middle of the bar where you're taking on a lot of risk for a huge upside. You know, Those are just bets. I think we want to try to take off the table and either try to keep it asymmetric where again, we, we, a lot of times it's just about how do we take the risk out of this? Well, maybe work with somebody else that's already done it. That's a great way to take risk off the table.
0: Yeah. And there's been so many people that we've had on the real estate disruptors podcast who said they started by going to a real estate investor association event, right? Jack Bosch on the show a couple of months ago, right? He said, He was number two. His wife was number two. He was number three as far as like member of the Arizona RIA. Mm -hmm. He built his whole empire. He started at a RIA, right? I think his upside, a lot of people would love to have what he has. Mm -hmm. Downside, what, 80 bucks a month for a RIA? Upside, you can meet people that would change your life.
1: Yeah, you know, and this isn't meant to be rocket science. Again, if you're listening to this, it's 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 simple, not easy. So just know that we all went through it and it can work burning the boats and going all in. If that's your preference, like I'm not here to stop you. What we're here to say is this is what people for thousands of years have been talking about how to get what you want in life with the least amount of risk. I don't think we want to take more risk or put more effort than is necessary. And oftentimes when you're starting to make that transition from full-time W2 to full-time investor, you don't really know what you like. You don't know what your preferences are. And so, It's okay to take micro steps and play a little Jenga with this, right? Try a few things, give yourself some grace for a, for a year, two years, three years to press on some of these opportunities, because when you do have the data and and you're like, no, this is exactly what I want to do. Then you can go all in knowing that you're making a choice. That's going to help you get closer to what you actually want in life, which is again, what my six word update today was closer to clarity creates peace.
0: Yeah. And know, I think I have
1: clarity on the steps we're taking.
0: Absolutely. And I think just going back, right? Like Paul and I are both quick starts. We're not against massive action. It's not that what we're saying is it's better to have a bias towards action and slow down, just yeah. slow down a little bit because the mistakes you make aren't necessarily, you know, uh, going to ruin you but it takes so much time and energy and resources to recapture and make up missteps right so if we can just minimize the missteps you can go much further a lot faster you know again i uh, keith cunningham is something someone i've quoted before as well paul you go back to your career and you can undo your three largest financial mistakes how much further along would you be?
1: Yeah. All
0: right. That's all we're talking about. Much further, I would assume. Yeah. That's all we're talking about here, right? If we could just, if we could just limit our mistakes, not make no mistakes, we could just limit our mistakes or limit the consequences of our mistakes. We would be much further along than where we are today. So with that said, you know, I think uh, for those of you guys that are are listening right now, you know, if you are interested in learning how to implement a reliable profitable and fulfilling business. Um, you know, I recommend Paul recommends just go by rigging the game. It's going to cost you like 10 bucks. I think rigging takes you there. Go check out the book. And if you enjoy the book, Paul has actually been working with Nick and Dan for better part. Is it two years now or is it a year and a half about a year and a half. Yeah. About a year and a half. Right. So he's been working directly hand in hand with these guys and their business partners with us in the whale club. So if you have any questions about Paul and I are actually implementing it as well after you read the book, uh, go to real you know, schedule a call, figure out uh, you and Paul can talk about how we can implement some of these principles, these frameworks, uh, the language into your business today. And, you know, maybe help you just get a little bit more clarity. So, yep. Um, anything else before you want to wrap up?
1: I don't think so. I think we, we covered it. Um, yeah. Good show today.
0: Yeah. Great show. Great show. So thank you guys all for listening and we'll see you guys next week. Bye everyone.